Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Like, uh, this, I did this weekend in Lexington. Um, tell me, she's like, I want to make a suggestion. And I thought this was going to be one of these things where she's like, I do training for a living and you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's your suggestion? But she was like, no, she goes, I would love, like, you should record it like a devotional, like a meditation podcast. Because we did these like times of silence, you know, where I just, I just told people like, just be present to what's going on in your body and your thoughts. And she was like, your voice was just so soothing. You should record a podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh. Ben, you, you do have... That's not the, uh, that's, that's not the uh, <coughs> suggestion I thought we were going to get. It's part her, of your so. grandpa energy. <laughs> You have a grandpa yeah. energy. He's got that's grandpa. what that's what Matt says. I've got oh. grandpa energy. I, oh. It's I don't grandpa mind energy it. is. Everyone, calm down. You can trust me. It's going to be okay. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I don't have that energy. No, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. I, I, seem have... to, I seem to exude the. <laughs> what are you talking about? Are we safe? I don't trust you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. at least that's the feedback I get from yeah. people at church. That's yeah. what, what you need. You need you need you need like grandpa it's, energy. You need uh-huh. I don't know what energy we'd call that. Nate energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like just Nate. Neighbor. It's 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 a there's neighborhood a three in the room, and he's definitely out for himself. Right. <laughs> it's just uh, guys. It's just I'm an Enneagram one, so it's just years of repressing my emotions. That's that's all this is. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very it's just r- like roars a one, so it's yeah. very roarish. Yeah, it's very roarish. I'm I'm going to manifest the correct response. No matter what's actually going on in me, I'll deal with that later. I don't know what this is, but but you can trust me. <laughs> you can trust that I'm I will the most, avoid my emotions. I'm the most repressed person here, so so you can obviously trust me. the most trustworthy. Uh, okay, so hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Speaking of repression and trust, we are uh, going to talk about being dudes today, mm. and we've gathered three dudes for this. Yes. We're in the middle of a series on Christians' relationship to power, how we embody power, what we conceive of as power, how we socially enact power, and then and then holding that into the light of Jesus, um, mm-hmm. using him as sort of our central focus, uh, locus of what power, what God's power really is and how God's power wants to inhabit his people. And we're having great conversations along the way. Today, 
Ben and I are here with our friend Nate. Hey there. Nate is a dude. I'm a dude. Uh, and he has uh, written a book about being a dude. And I thought it would be good for us to just chat about. Right? Can, we, can we be clear about the fact that dude is not in the title is of said it, no, book? Okay. No. Well, I'll give you. I'm gonna. I'm about ready to let you speak. And then for you some can reason, correct. it just is. It's like really weird to me that we're not, we're not saying like men. We're just we keep saying dudes. Well, yeah. is, is it the royal week? Because I've only <laughs> been the know. only one talking. It's just me saying dude. That's true. I guess it's, it is the royal. It's the podcast we. Are you it's d- like <laughs> us together collectively on this podcast. We keep saying dude. Okay. So should I scrap that? I don't know. I, all right. Maybe not. We'll we'll talk about being men's. <laughs> the males. The males. Know. So, um, Nate, give us an introduction. What you uh, Nate is a friend of ours. He lives in the same town as we do. We've known Nate for several years. Initially met online. We actually met online even though we live in the same town. On Craigslist, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we met, we met on Twitter, right? We met on Twitter. <laughs> Which is kind of like a, yeah, another kind of Craigslist. I don't know. It's like the Christian mingle for single men. I've met a lot of people on Twitter that I eventually meet in real life, but I realize like I've just, I've known this person on Twitter for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And this was back before, like Twitter has become something different than what it was. Yes. I mean, it's, I think the AI, the algorithm, right, has kind of amped up our fear and our animosity a little bit more than it used to be, but... Uh, but yeah, I've, it's interesting. Yeah. It's been a connection. It's been a vehicle for connection for me. Yeah, for quite a I've few connected people. Connected with a lot of people. Ben, social mm-hmm. media is a completely benevolent enterprise with no <laughs> nefarious purposes or agenda. Mm. Except for the AIs, we don't know what they're thinking. I got it. Uh, is morally neutral. It is our Mark, sin. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> that Mark Zuckerberg just Venmoed me a hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, Nate, why don't you introduce us? Tell us what you're up to here locally, and then tell us about. Just begin to introduce this book you wrote. Yeah, so live here in Fishers, Indiana, near Matt and Ben. Have been here for about 10 years, and I pastor a church uh, on the other side of town from them. Uh, but pastor Christ Community Church, been here for about 10 years. Uh, I've written a couple of books. One comes out next week, but that's not the one we're going to be talking about. I uh, mm. wrote a book uh, four years ago now, 2015, uh, called Man Enough, and really just tried to examine masculinity in light of our cultural expectations of men and where those expectations have come from and and then hold those up against Jesus and hmm. see if Jesus fits into our modern conceptions of masculinity or if not and if so if not then how might we as Christian men consider uh, conforming to the image of Jesus rather than to the the cultural ideals wow yeah so I do there so like a simple like a simple Simple book. Yeah, real simple book. <laughs> it, you know, it was really Not interesting. Not much to unpack there. Right. So I, it was really interesting. When I set out to write the book, I wanted to write a different kind of mas- a book on mas- masculinity because Christian masculinity mm. books are like, they all say the same exact thing, right? It's men are to be strong, men are to be uh, fearless, they're to be courageous leaders, you know, beauty to save, uh, yeah. adventure to tackle, that whole thing. Yeah. And I wanted to write a different kind of men's book. It was really interesting as I put together my initial outline, I sent it to a friend of mine and he wrote back, he said, that'll make a splash because it'll be like the anti-book, mm-hmm. but you need to put some research into it. You need to read some articles, read some books that are uh, scholarly. Yeah, and, and and then really begin to 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 work from that point. And I did that, and it became a huge. All of a sudden, the project was super overwhelming. It went from something like, "Oh yeah, I can knock this out in six months," to, "I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to get my mind around this." Yeah. Uh, so it, it it was a little bit ambitious, and hmm. I would definitely go back and add some stuff or change some stuff. But sure, I'm pretty always. happy with where it turned out. Yeah, that's great. As you were talking, Nate, I was thinking about two of our uh, two of my wife and I our favorite shows are Parks and Rec 
And uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I don't know if you guys have seen these shows. Oh, Parks and Rec, yes. Have you seen the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yeah. Uh, so it's both fantastic. of those shows take place in Indiana. Like Kimmy Schmidt uh, is this woman who gets kidnapped in high school by a cult leader, and she lives in a bunker for ten years. That's all. It's awesome. And, it's and it's then, dark humor. And yeah. then she moves. <laughs> and then she moves to New York City, and like she's so naive and ridiculously like still a kid, and you know has all this PTSD from being in a bunker with a cult leader. But the the uh, <laughs> I was just thinking like Hollywood understands uh, masculinity and in Indiana. With like Ron Swanson and right. this cult leader, right? Like, right. like that's that's how Hollywood, right, right. imagines Indiana guys. Right. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's write let's write a series about you know some people who uh, got you know kidnapped by a cult leader. Where should it take place? Indiana, Indiana. <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. All right, so Nate, you wrote a book that sort of is subverting and or maybe showing a different side to what Christians typically think of when they think of what it means to be a, quote, biblical man. Right. Right? Uh, and so, uh, was it a hard decision to l- leave the Christian faith and culturally accommodate? <laughs> no, no. So, how do you, like, tell me why that's important. Why was that important to you? Well, it was important to me because in <clears throat> in many ways, I fit into the modern, like, conception of what a man is, right? I like to lift weights. I like to go backpacking and skiing and I hunt and fish and do all of that sort of stuff. But as I reflected back on my life and had some pretty profound experiences in in my thirties, uh, which by the way, I'm still in, I just think that's important (laughs) to put out there for the public. Uh, but early in my thirties, Tuesday, when I, was, <laughs> I have, I have nine more months in my thirties. So anyways, uh-huh. that, uh, w- I had some pretty profound experiences in which I was extremely vulnerable, was very, uh, emotional as I confronted some of my own brokenness hmm. and began to share those, those areas of brokenness for the first time feeling, uh, and, and feeling like I was exposing my weakness. Hmm. And that's actually when I began to feel like a man. So, so all of a sudden here, like I'm doing all the things I'm normally like, supposed to do. I'm leading a church. Yeah. I'm married. I've got a kid. I hunt. I fish. I do all these masculine things, but none of those are what really made me feel like a man. What made me feel like a man is doing something completely different that seems so unmasculine, which was being vulnerable with others, revealing my brokenness hmm. and resting in my weakness. Uh, all of a sudden then I've become much more confident and much more secure of like, oh, I don't have to prove myself as a man, which is what I felt so long before. So for me, that's a big reason as to why I wrote that book. Man, I have like 16 questions. One is... Um, just wanted to, just ask him one at a one time. One at a time? Yeah. Or all 16 and then you can answer them and remember them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll just monologue I'm pretty good at this, this podcast. I'm pretty good at this interview thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Um, wh- where did we get the idea that being vulnerable and in touch with our emotions wasn't masculine? Well, I I, th- I, th- I don't know where that idea necessarily came from. I think that there's this idea that has been pervasive, particularly in American culture, that men are to be warriors, that men are to be stoic, that men are to be, uh, you know, the one, the rock who people can count on and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, an mm. emotion, for whatever reason, has been deemed as weakness, right? So the minute mm-hmm. you show any kind of, uh, you know, frustration or fear or uh, exasperation, any of those types of emotions, people then begin to see you as something that is less than a man, someone who is, you know, nearing being feminine a, a woman collective gasp right exactly <laughs> exactly right that's the- right so much of masculinity is defined against femininity yeah right right and so uh and, and femininity is viewed as negative and femininity right. is viewed as negative particularly and so you don't want anything that is going to 
run you the risk of being aligned as someone who's feminine or someone who relates more to women, right, mm-hmm. is going to be seen as a liability. And so emotion then becomes something that's risk that's risky for men to show now there's two emotions that men can show that is not risky and will not cause your masculinity to come into question you want to guess one uh shame no no (laughs) no 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 no. anger anger (laughs) anger is extremely safe right because to be to be angry is actually to is is somewhat to show a show of strength and it also often results in some show of strength right whether you're going to attack whatever that thing that is making you angry you're going to fix it so anger is one the the last the last one is uh i have well i have three in my head that aren't actually emotions yeah yeah, but men if you ask them how they're feeling they'll Uh typically say tired Yeah. yeah hungry yeah. Or right. horny. <laughs> and those aren't actual emotions. Those aren't actual emotions, right? So the, the other one I, th- I think, that, and, and this is what I, I read, I think it was in the book Raising Cain, it talked about jealousy, that men can feel jealous. So, and, and that might hmm. raise some competition, right? I can be jealous of your success, which is going to then spur me on to try harder, to work harder, to try to, to climb beat the leg. To beat you, exactly, yeah. right? So it feeds into that competition, which yeah. is also at the center of American masculinity. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, or jealousy becomes something like, I'm jealous for my spouse or, you know, right. my my. Uh, girlfriend your job or- right 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 whatever so yeah. but it's also intimately connected to anger right like jealousy can fuel that's the right anger that's we, right so, but those two emotions are safe for men uh but at the minute like even joy like to see a that's guy right. just being ex- exuberant because of something that's happening like yeah that, that, that's like what's wrong with that guy right like hold it in dude like yeah that's hold it in dude right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so and i was just thinking on the other side of women i've heard women tell me they they can't be angry like women aren't given it, like Cultural to be angry, permission. it's a, almost a virtue for a guy. Look how passionate he is. Look how zealous right. he is. Look, right. look how committed he is to getting you know stuff done. But a woman gets mad, and she's a a witch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? There's a huge double standard there. Yeah. yeah. And 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 again, that's part of the demarcation between man and woman, male and female, uh, that exists in. in in America. And one of the things mm-hmm. that was really surprising to me, going all the way back to Alex de, de Tocqueville, when he was doing his sociological research around America, is he uh, said that the separation of spheres between men and women was greater in America than any other country he mm-hmm. had seen. Interesting. Yeah. So mm. that goes all the way back, almost yeah. to the founding of the country, that there's these strict lines between a man's place in the world and a yes. woman's place in the world. And so it sounds like a lot of what your book examines then is is basically how much... How much sort of reading into the scriptures have we done from yep. the cultural standpoint, where we've just assumed the the what the culture has kind of given us in terms of masculine and feminine? Yeah, we find a way to kind of read that into the scriptures, mm-hmm. or we we find that in the scriptures when it's not actually there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That can. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, some of, one of the things that's so central to American understanding of masculinity is this idea of breadwinning. Well, that didn't even come about until the 1800s. That term right. was never there before, and in fact, when you go Beyond that term, and really it comes around the time of the Industrial Revolution, which right. it, which increased the separation of spheres where men went off to the factories right. and women stayed behind. But before, men and women actually shared in the household chores yep. and in the chores out in the field, and there was mm-hmm. much more connection between the man and the woman. They might still have some separate roles, but there was also a lot of overlap between those. That distinction between this is men's work, this is women's work, this is a man's place, this is a woman's place, that increased because of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. But we still hold on to this idea, well... A man works mm-hmm. out in the, you know, goes off to business, leaves his house, and then comes home, and the wife should be there all day long. Now, uh, granted, that's changing some in our yeah. culture at this yeah. current time, 
but that idea still persists, particularly in Christian circles and more conservative Christian yeah. circles. Yeah. I know a few stay-at-home dads. and yeah. In our know, church, even. We have some yeah, few stay-at-home Yeah, we got, we got stay-at-home dads. And, um, you know, they do it out of conviction, uh, you know, or I've just, Necessity. like, practicality. Yeah, practicality, you know, the, right? The, Their wife has the a better wife job. Can, right. Yeah. She can make more money, um, that kind of thing. But it is, it's really difficult, um, just even culturally. There's not, like, stay-at-home dad groups. Right. It's weird for... It's right. weird for dad to show up at the stay-at-home mom's group. There's no you know, dops. Kind of like, there's no dops. <laughs> there's no dops groups, right? Um, so yeah, there's there's a lack of uh, kind of cultural support, uh, I guess, for people who are even even for people who are exploring, you know, right. new ways of kind of living into right, right. Things. And we've got such a narrow understanding of what it means for for a man to be a provider for his house, right? When we think of that, or uh, we think of man as provider for his family, it is predominantly financial. That's right. Rather than thinking about a provider of time, a provider of nurture, a provider of care, a provider of presence, right? right. We don't think about it in terms of those things whatsoever. And the minute you start to do that, uh, <clears throat> people really begin to like, it, it, it just confuses people because we're so used to the norms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speak, uh, speaking of norms, I was reading this article, I forget, a few weeks ago where it talked about the color pink. Mm-hmm. If you've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like up until like... It's in the 1900s. Yeah, up or, until the early 1900s, pink was associated with men. There was this huge debate. I, I found I came across this. There was a huge debate about whether or not you should dress your infant and in, in what color. Because prior to the 1900s, uh, so in the 1800s or whatever, uh, boys and girls, when they were born and infants and all that, they white. wore the exact same clothes, right? It was white and it was kind of like this gown type thing. Yeah. But there became this huge cultural... Uh, pressure to make sure that boys grew up to be boys and girls grew up to be girls like this was a huge like cultural anxiety that existed Hmm. and so one of the ways they did that is well from a very young age we're going to make sure that they're dressed appropriately according to their gender and then this conversation broke out about well what color should boys wear and what color should girls wear and there was a magazine i forget everybody knows the transcultural proposition Mm -hmm. probably in leviticus chapter 42 (laughs) is boys wear blue and girls wear pink right Mm -hmm. but i forget what magazine it was and it was in like 1904 1907 or something like that but it definitively declared that pink was the more masculine color yeah yeah. Yeah. And so I remember being in high school watching this documentary about some orphans in Sierra Leone and noticing that these uh, they came over to America and lived in America, went to high school and college in America. And when uh, they were separated and then they came together and these two uh, high school boys from Sierra Leone, when they saw each other in America, they went for a walk to talk and they held hands yeah, and, they, yep. and they interlaced their fingers mm. as they walked. And I remember everybody, and I mean, I went to Catholic high school, which... Um, yeah, I, that's a whole other podcast. But I remember everybody in class was like, oh, like throwing this huge fit, right? Mm. We had no categories right. for, for two guys who weren't sexually interested in each other showing that kind of intimacy. Yeah. yeah. But they had no problem with it. Right, right. Well, and that just shows you that, that, that that's just cultural. It's, it's just straight cultural. up cultural, yeah. right? That, that you could hold hands with another guy and yeah. have that be completely normal and actually have that be shown as a kind of intimacy and affection yeah. for one another. But we, we don't even have categories for that in the U.S., right? Yeah. Like, we have a hard time hugging other guys in public. Yes. <laughs> ben is actually getting much better at hugging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, you, getting pretty good at it. Are you? It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline for me. I mean, you, for a number of reasons. Is it the side <laughs> hug or have you programmed? No. No, I'm trying to the, just yeah. I'm trying to just give people real hugs. Yeah, good. Just you know, to say, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. Yeah. I'm going to hug your body. <laughs> <laughs> 
and clearly I'm very comfortable. It's with good it. that he doesn't say that every time. Yeah. It's, that would be get ready. It's appropriate that that just stays in your head. <laughs> I, I just like to warn you, I'm going to hug your body at this right, point. Right, right. This is not like a spiritual in my head thing. This is happening with our body. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember looking at some uh, some old photos, maybe from the 1800s, like of men who would get their pictures taken together. Yes, and they were so like they were sitting on each other's laps, right? Hold, right? Putting like, hands on their knees, putting hands on like all of this like expression of like again, it, there was nothing sexual about it inherently. It was just how men expressed affection and friendship yeah. with each other back back in those days. But it's just it it was like it's just such a clear cultural difference that you look at these things and think oh i don't i don't know what's going on there and i can't imagine doing this with my friends yep so we try to we try to put it into a category right, right. um so that's, that's, that's an and that's one of the reasons we want to have this conversation with you nate is because i think there is this awakening awareness through books like yours and other studies that are done that show that a lot of our scripts a lot of our assumptions about what it means to be a quote man even mm-hmm. even in the christian world they are uh they are, deter- they are culturally accommodated. Sure. And then we kind of like project back onto scripture or project back onto some authority. Like yeah. We find it there. You know, you can find whatever you want. You can find whatever you want. Right? Yeah. And so we just don't talk about like uh, uh, Esau, the manly man, not getting the blessing. Right? right. The, the guy who stays home and sews with mom, he, he gets the blessing. We don't, we just don't talk about that, right? right? Jacob and Esau is a fascinating yeah. one to look at when you think of the Bible because if you were to actually stop and, and just think about how we describe what a real man, quote unquote, a real man is in mm-hmm. Christian language. We, we always describe Esau, right? Yes. We're described the hairy guy who goes out and hunts, who's always doing the adventure, who's a right. little bit of impest- you know, like yeah. he, he, smell, he, he smells like yeah, game. Yep. Ex- exactly. <laughs> he, 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 he knows what he wants and he gets it, right? Yeah, yeah. Versus Jacob, who does little, what mommy says, yeah, a little more hangs passive. around the tents with the women, yeah. and uh-huh. cooks stew, and you know, it doesn't yep. haunt all of that sort of stuff. Yep. Like we don't describe Jacob, we describe Esau. He's he's really the quintessential Christian yeah. Amer- American Christian male. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he gets the old shaft, right, from daddy, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we're super comfortable with David, who is going out and fighting Goliath and taming mm-hmm. bears, and him and his mighty warriors and all of that sort of stuff. Right. But David's sitting and playing the harp. Like you just don't right. you don't see a chapter in most men's books about David playing the harp no. and writing poetry. Right. Or, right. Or, you know, or dancing in his singlet. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or Jesus. You know, people love Jesus, and so as men, we point mm-hmm. to you know he gets pointed at to clearing the temple, right? That show mm. of righteous anger again. Yeah. That, yeah. And then Jesus in the, the the return of Revelation when he's on his white stallion and he's slain his enemies and all of that sort of stuff. What we right. don't talk about is Jesus likening himself to a mother hen and covering his chicks, weeping over a city, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 being someone who, you know, if you look at that, just the passion narrative, being humiliated by being spit on, being yeah. silent in the face of someone who is, yes. is uh, wrongly accusing him of something... Mm-hmm. Of even just some of the the symbolic things, the Jesus who was penetrated by the spear, right? Yeah. And in so many ways, hmm. if you look at what were Roman ideals of masculinity, Jesus failed to live into being a male according to the Roman ideals. Yes, uh, I, even the, uh, uh, Nate, the just you struck me the the picture of 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 uh, John being at the breast of Jesus. Yeah. Right? So yep. so uh in in Jesus's day the tables were only like 12 to 16 inches above the ground. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't sit on chairs. They 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 lounged, if you will. 
reclined. They reclined, which means they kind of, uh, you know when we put a pillow up under our armpit and kind of lay on our arm? Right, yep. And with our legs uh, long? That's how, they, that's how they ate. So they, la- they kind of laid on their elbow and then used a hand to eat. And so in, in the Last Supper, when it says John reclined on his breast, what, what is it? Jesus and John were spooning. <laughs> like, like John was in front of Jesus uh-huh. and uh, about, um, you know, like about 18 inches uh, away from being like lined up head to head. So 18 inches down and he was on his arm. And and so then he would just lean back on Jesus like a like a headrest or like a like a big pillow. Yeah. Like there's not a man in America who would consider themselves heterosexual who would be okay with that. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. Uh we don't have we don't have concepts for that being biblical masculinity. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. Jesus was a dude. I'm sorry. I used that word. Amends. <laughs> A man? A man? He had ma- masculine... I don't know if I have a problem with it. I'm just noticing it for some reason. Anyway, I just think... Okay, so so part of uh, part of why this matters to me is that we, we're talking about power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're talking about what it means to embody and activate and engage in the world as people who bear the power and authority of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And so... Uh, we live in a culture, and we live in a dominant masculine sort of imagination that that places value and importance and bias towards sort of what you described as sort of the characterized masculine power. So sure. yeah. dominating, coercive, even violent, take charge, aggressive. Right. Making and, things happen. Yeah. And so then how would you, like, re- Nate, give us a new imagination. How would you rescript or redefine or name this more essential part of masculinity that that taps be- that gets below sort of the cultural scripts that we've bought into. Yeah. So if I were to summarize the cultural scripts, uh, because I'm a good reformed preacher, I am reformed. I apologize for that. Uh, There's no apology necessary. Okay. That's all good. It's all but, good. But if I were to summarize it with three words that all start with the same Come letter, on. yeah, huh? Me- you know, our dominant idea of what a, a man is and what it looks like to embody a man in a powerful way is someone who climbs a corporate ladder, who conquers his enemies, and who celebrates his victories, right? Take mm. all my money. There you go, right? <laughs> now I'm going to do the exact same thing. But when you look at Jesus, what Jesus does is he actually calls us to descend, to become the last, mm. right? To be willing to serve others. So to descend, to deny. De- deny ourselves and mm-hmm. to die mm. which which is a completely different power but that right. Jesus actually reorients and shows us the, the the power of God in at work in the world is a power that gives of self right it's a self-sacrificial love which mm. is very very different than any uh, any masculine conception of what yes. it looks like but that's what yeah. Jesus embodied and Jesus yes. actually embodied it in such a way that said by denying oneself by willing to become last by uh, uh uh, dying to yourself, mm-hmm. you actually have the power to change the world. And so when mm-hmm. we enter into that kind of power, we can take a different kind of posture in the world and take a different kind of responsibility for the world around us. Yes. Yeah. Preach. I might, I might go to Nate's church this Sunday. Is that all right? Can I, I get a I Sunday pre- off? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just preach there. I you preach just preach there. Yeah, I just yeah. preach there. So. Yeah, maybe I'll just download the sermons. That's the same as going to church, right? Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Uh, no, Nate, what you said is uh, so mm-hmm. powerful because it, it goes against all of the ways we make sense and meaning of our world, right? Right. It goes against our economy, mm-hmm. right? So the, the, uh, the free market capitalistic economy yeah. has no value or worth placed right. upon dissent, dying, and denying. 
Right. Right? Yep. It's all about ascent and fulfilling and mm-hmm. actualizing. Yes. Right? And so, uh, you know, our economy and our ph- philosophical systems, enlightenment and, and others, uh, even, our, even our Christian heritage that we've adopted here in America, what you're describing is, I mean, we can't log on our computer without seeing an, another, like, masculine leader mm-hmm. getting defrocked or dethroned or mm-hmm. or sort of fired because of their abuse of power, right? Yes. And so, uh, man, we need a vision of being men in a new way. Right, right. It, it, so, so one of the things about, about masculinity that I do think is actually helpful is that for a long time it's been, it's been framed within this positive agency within the world, right? Men have agency in the world, have the ability to change things around them. We can change the systems, we can structures. And sometimes, I mean, in its most basic form, you know, you think about men as things who move things from, you know, we move objects from one place to another or we build structures or whatever, but there's always been this sense of agency around masculinity. That's a right. really good thing. What mm. Jesus does is to call us to embody that agency in a very different way, right? Mm. It's, it's the agency that doesn't demand that people follow, but is willing to take off its tunic and get down on his knees and wash feet to take the lowest, you know, to take the form of a servant in really ways Mm -hmm. and, and to, to reveal that even in these simple small acts, these acts that often go unnoticed or these acts that we demand of others because we see ourselves as more powerful than them, like actually those acts, those small acts yeah. have the power to 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 yeah. create a different order, a different way of being, a different yeah. kind of community. I'm struck by how I, I think one of the one of the one of the things at issue, one of the things at play here is that I think in the the way of the way of expressing our agency that you're describing, it requires a trust that something may be happening that I'm not aware of mm-hmm. and that I'm not in control of. Oh, yeah, that's great. Right? Yep. And that I think that when we talk about the more abusive ways of expressing agency, there's usually an anxiety about mm-hmm. wanting to control an outcome, wanting to wanting to be able to draw a straight line from my action to a result. Right. Getting my desires right. Right, 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 right. I have to know that my actions are producing this, otherwise, I, otherwise I, I'm anxious about whether or not I'm yes. doing anything, right? Yep. So there's this trust that's required to say, like, trust in Jesus, basically, yeah. who says, like, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Okay, something's happening when I surrender to this new way yes. of being an agent of God's power and goodness in the world. Yeah, that's great. Even though I I may not know what it is, but I'm trusting that something's happening. Yeah, but God's ben, power's at work. There's a there's a complete imaginative chasm there. Because most people when they hear that, especially mm-hmm. um, guys who are used to th- quote throwing their weight around, mm. they hear that as going passive. They do. Mm-hmm. And they have no imagination for how to be engaged and care about something where th- it's not my will be done, my kingdom come. Yeah. They've just right. no imagination for it. Yeah. It's so, just Can I tell a story? Yeah, I want to hear that? it. Yeah. So one of the my dad died when I was twenty five. He was fifty years old. And um, one of the one of the memories of him that is indelibly like uh, burned into my mind is um, I, I, when I was 18, kind of came back to the Lord and started, uh, uh, I'd been in like punk rock bands and stuff in high school and started playing worship music because that seemed like the, you know, that's the Christian thing to do now. Right. And there was, there was a lot of good about it. Um, but we, we, ha- we started having these worship concerts. Um, there was kind of this little revival kind of happening in my you know, this youth group that I used to be part of, and there's kind of some good stuff happening. So we had this uh, w- this kind of worship 
festival. Like we played a bunch of worship music out on this this guy's farm. <laughs> and so there were people from all over the town who were there. It was kind of an interesting uh, mix of people. And my dad was like a respected medical doctor in the community, a small community in southern Minnesota, 10,000 people. So everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, and my dad was there. My parents were there. My whole family was there. And um, we were we were singing this song. And a lot of the kids were kind of like, um, it was like a it was like a mosh pit <laughs> kind of a thing, you know. They were just dancing in the middle. It wasn't a mosh pit. It was it was they were dancing. A lot of the kids were dancing. To it, the was the 90s, ben, so. <laughs> it was the nineties, Ben. So it was the nineties. We were playing grunge worship. No, we weren't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mercy is falling like sweet sweet rain. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we were we were playing this song. I'm, I'm setting this up. Uh, we were playing this song, and um, all the kids were dancing. And all of a sudden, I see my dad, respected medical doctor in the community, uh, like he just joins the dance. He's raising his hands. He's singing, and he's like skipping. My dad, he's like you know in his late 40s. He's skipping around, uh, you know, in in this along with all these kids. Um, and I almost lost it in the moment, like uh, in terms of just the. Uh, what a powerful picture it was for me to see, like, he didn't have anything to gain, you know what I mean, in, in terms of just joining the dance. Like, he had a lot to lose, maybe, in the eyes of other people in the community, but like, what's the, what's the deal with that guy, you know? Um, but, but he did it anyway, and, and it, was a, it was, I don't know, it's, it's indelibly printed into my mind, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a picture of my dad uh, sort of expressing this joy, basically, yes. in, in the Lord, that right, in front, right out in front of God and everybody. Right, right. Um, and, it, and it was, pow- I, I tell that story because it, like, it was powerful. So he, he wasn't like doing it to, he wasn't saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something now, right? He was just, he was just like giving himself over to joy, and it powerfully affected me, even though there wasn't a direct line that he was trying to draw you know, yeah, he didn't have an result. agenda with his dance. He didn't have a result in mind or yeah. anything like that. But but it was extremely powerful, and so it's it's stuff like that that yeah. I think we like can create an imagination for how just surrendering to you know the, this new form of agency can actually become like a really really powerful thing, even though we don't get to control how it plays out. Right, right, right. Like you, you described that, and I I wonder. It just made me wonder what permissions did that give you. That yeah. maybe That's right. you know him standing you know along the side very stoically you mm-hmm. know like that has one effect on yeah. a son who's watching their father and then the skipping yes. <laughs> that's a completely skipping. different one. Yeah. What permissions does that give? Like yeah. I, one of my memories mm-hmm. of my father is uh, when I got cut from the baseball team in high school. My mm-hmm. dad coming and apologizing to me for being so busy at work that he didn't have time to take me and hit ground balls and play catch mm. and do all of that sort of stuff. And it, and it gave me permission then years later as a father to begin to think about what does it look like to give my, to, to, to ask for forgiveness to my children, yes. Yes. to admit where I've been wrong. Yep. Yes. And, and, and so there's something really powerful in those small little acts yes. where we as men either expand the idea of the emotions that we can show where we uh, embrace our weakness and actually put those on display for others. And where Mm. we enter into vulnerability, like we have power in that to change future generations. And I think that's part of the agency. Yeah. So what I hear Mm. you guys both saying is your, both your dads, they didn't have their actions empowered you. Yeah. yeah. So it was power under you to help you to lift you into a place that you couldn't have done otherwise. Yes, that's right. It, this is this is the active power of God mm-hmm. that energizes and engages and comes under and lifts up rather than is 
overpowering, mm-hmm. right? And and is sort of the hyper controlling, right? Right? And and I think we need more imaginations for this because when, I mean, my dominant imagination until about ten years ago for like washing people's feet and you know uh, giving up yourself uh, for the sake of others was just like being really nice when I was a jerk. <laughs> right, right. Like be nicer yeah, when yeah, you yeah. are controlling people. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. And that's that's you don't need to be a Christian for that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't have to at all. You don't have to you don't need Jesus for that. Um man, this is great. I yeah. there's one other I know we're bumping up against time. There's one other thing I was thinking about this morning, Nate, having you on. And that's this uh this entire uh Me Too movement that's been mm-hmm. happening now with with women coming forward and saying, Hey, this is the way that um that kind of the dominant scripts of masculinity have been abusive and hurtful towards me, mm-hmm. right? In these various scenarios. And I was thinking of um, particular, the case of, of Terry Crews. You know who Terry Crews is? Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's in Brooklyn yeah. 911? 911? 911. 911. Uh, yeah. Nine, nine, nine. <clears throat> Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Is it Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Okay. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Is it Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah. Is it Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah. Is it Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah, because they always go, Nine-Nine! Yeah, because they always go, Nine-Nine! And uh, the Old Spice commercials, right? And, yeah. yeah, so I know him through the Old Spice commercials. He's the, he's the guy that... He's ripped. That's just... He's an ex-football player. He's super muscular. And in the Old Spice commercials, he's like always screaming with his shirt off and his pecs are bouncing. And, you know, there's like caricature of the masculinity yeah. we're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, uh, three years ago, he was at this Hollywood event with his wife, and it was about, um, it was like right when the Harvey Weinstein things broke, mm-hmm. and so everything was coming out, and this um, this executive, this Hollywood executive uh, was like flirting with him, another guy was flirting with him at this party, and he and he said he was like licking his lips and being super provocative, and and Terry's like, I didn't have any categories for this, I thought he was, I thought he was joking, I'd whatever mm. and uh he comes over to terry and terry puts out his hand to sort of like shake his hand because that's what you do you know that's right. how guys greet each other and this guy just grabs his crotch completely gropes him wow and terry like swats his hand away and says oh what are you doing stop it and his wife sees it and the guy laughs and giggles and tries to do it again and terry knocks his hand away again anyway so terry like actually comes forward and makes this public and mm. he gets crucified mm. really yes for be for for being a victim yes interesting mm. for being a victim because uh people are like why didn't you punch the guy right like, why don't you let him have it right like so like masculine like if you know the masculine denom- uh imagination is if you if you come on to me like that mm-hmm. then i'm going to like power up and let you have it right um and and terry he he says, I, you know, I thought about that. That was my first instinct, right? He's like 6'4", 230. There are very few people. Yeah. He could have swatted the guy away, let's he, be honest. Yeah, if you've looked at him. He could have put this guy down. But um, this is where, like, I, I feel maybe underqualified or um, that, to talk about this. But to name it, he's like, you know, um, as a, he's a black man. As a black man in America, mm. I don't have yes. the freedom yep. to get physically violent in public, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, and so my wife was the one who who talked me out of like the violent mindset because as soon as I punch this white Hollywood executive, right? There's a script about me now, yeah. and no matter what he did, yeah, it doesn't, right? So there's so issues of race play into our like our masculinity, right? And sort of cage us, but I, but then like Terry, like his his whole thing is like he became an advocate. Mm-hmm. For like victims of abuse, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's it's this powerful witness of somebody who is sort of the paragon of masculinity, taking 
taking a role as having giving a voice to victims. Right. Right. Well, mm. there's a lot in there to unpack. I want to go to the just the violence thing, uh, and because because I find this even in some Christian messages that are out there from in different articles that are written, and I've heard pastors talk about it in sermons or on men's retreats and all of that sort of stuff. And it's this idea of men like a real a, a good Christian man doesn't start a fight. But if someone throws a punch, you better finish that fight, right? right? Yeah. Like we, somebody breaks into your house, right? You well, if somebody like, breaks yeah. in, no, but someone breaks into your house. But we even say this to our kids, right? Yeah, we yeah. don't want our we don't want our young sons to be mats, doormats. So yeah. if a kid comes at you, yeah, not you, Matt. <laughs> we don't want our young sons to be mats. I know. Heaven forbid. <laughs> if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. <laughs> don't grow up to me like me, right? Son. But that's that's the advice: is you know, don't yeah. don't start a fight. Yeah. But you be be, you be ready to. To, to finish the fight. Yeah. Mm. And, and and that's just so different than what we see in Jesus. Yes, Jesus finished the fight, but he did the fight, but he actually did that by laying his life down. Right. And then yeah. the Sermon on the Mount teaches us turn the other cheek. Pray for your person, pray for your enemies. And mm. and then the in, in the Christian mindset, you start telling that to fathers to encourage a father mm-hmm. to teach his son to turn the other cheek. Yeah. And the resistance that you get to that, because you, I'm teaching my son to be passive. I'm teaching my son to be a doormat. No, no, no. You're actually teaching your son to have the agency and the imagination of Jesus yeah. in the world. And we like, don't. It's almost unfathomable. It's almost unfathomable. So that, that just shows you, like, we have so much work to do to recover a mask and imagination, apart mm-hmm. from all these uh, toxic sort of uh, wells that we draw right. uh, yeah. what it means to be a man from. Right. right. Mm-hmm. But then the other piece of what you were talking there about is the role that race plays, right? So the role, Terry Mm. couldn't get violent because he would be fit into a script of an angry black man or a violent black man, which there's a huge narrative in America about that. You can go back in 1963, there was a guy by the name of Irving, I think his name was Irving Goffman. Goffman was his last name, but he was a sociologist, did a huge study on masculinity. And what he found was that in America, and he's got a great quote, and I'm not going to get the whole thing, but in America there is... Uh, an ideal, one ideal of what the the unblushing American man is, and it's like college educated, Protestant, hmm. uh, recent sports record, sports record, unblemished skin. That was actually part of it. Really? Married kids, wow. all of this, and the other piece of that was white. Like to be an American male, the dominant, right. the dominant understanding, the dominant picture, the ideal that everyone attains to is to be a white Protestant male yeah. in America. Yeah. And, and so that's why uh, flavor flay was never the marble man. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? That's ex- that was <laughs> my exact point that I was going to drive towards. There was speaking of, I just watched an episode of the uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Where, uh, there, there's a, uh, Titus, the character who's yes. a, who's a black man. He's in amazing the show, in that show. Uh, becomes the first, they call it the first openly black dairy queen. Like mascot, <laughs> openly black. <laughs> they they know how to make these jokes. Right. Uh, so anyway, anyway, your your comment <laughs> made me think about that. But anyway, but but that relates. <laughs> like wow, that went way well, on I'm, us. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. Yeah, <clears throat> time to sign off. No, but but the, but that's just it. And, but again, that relates to power, right? When you're able that's to right. define yeah. what the ideal is that everybody uh-huh. else should attain, yeah. like that's a certain kind of power, and. And, and so part of part of where we are, I think, and part of the anxiety that exists within our society at this time is that power is shifting. Like the idea yes. is moving away yeah. both from men as the power holders in society, but also white men as yeah. the power holders yeah. in society. Yeah. And and that that every you know, that mountain being brought low isn't gonna be peaceful. It, no, it, and, no, we're right. gonna we would we There's would build a ridiculously anxiety 
an inefficient wall to stop it. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think for us, it's three three white guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you for not saying dudes. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know if again. This I don't know if I have a problem with it. Three white guys, which is the the uh, epitome of a podcast. That's yes. right. We we've made it, Ben. A group of, a group of uh, Let's shut two it or down. more white men. It's called a podcast. We we really have to ask ourselves: What does it look like yeah. for us? Yes, as men who are mm-hmm. trying to offer and live into a different ideal of masculinity, a Jesus-centered one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for us to create space and to lift up both women and uh, men of 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 color, uh, yes. you know, and create yes. space for them at both at the table in positions of power yeah. to respect them, to yeah. treat them as men, to yeah. see them as as men that we can emulate in many ways. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's a really is a yeah. great conversation, and it's something for us to consider. And I think another another thing I just want to would would recommend to people is um, so much of what we're seeing happen in this like when power is shifting is there's anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Anxiety causes us to like freak out a little bit. You get I would just afraid say afraid and angry. Yeah. You get afraid, you get angry, you know, uh, I have a friend who says anxiety makes us stupid, which mm. there, there, there's actually good biological research right. behind there this. Yeah. As anxiety true. goes up, our ability to be rational goes down. Yeah. Like they're on a teeter totter. Yep. Right. So I would, I would just say like, if any of this conversation or if the me too movement or if church Too, like if any of that stuff, it's just, one of the best things that you can do if you are a man, a white man, is just listen up, white guys. Att- right, is just pay attention to your own anxiety about it. Right. What triggers you? Right, just pay attention to it instead of re- reacting to it. Just pause for a second and say, "What like what's causing this anxiety? What right. am I afraid of?" Right, really. Right, and you could do that with some really like, am I afraid of losing something? Right, losing position, losing yeah. influence, losing recognition, whatever it might yeah. be. Right, like yeah. so. So, as someone who's written a couple of books and who's done some speaking and stuff, recognizing that people of color don't get the same opportunities That's to write right. books hmm. or to have speaking engagements. So, there's the sense in in order for somebody else to get those opportunities, hmm. I might not get them. Right. So there's a sense of like examining my own sense of loss and, yeah. and what I might lose, what I could lose and what that stirs up in me yeah. uh, to, to th- consider losing influence. Right. I no mm. longer have a seat at the table or I'm giving up my seat so another yeah. person can have yeah. a seat. Yeah. Am I, am, why am I afraid of losing those things? Yeah. Is it because my worth is wrapped up in those things? My identity mm. is wrapped up in those things and, and really do some of that introspective work. I think it's called white fragility, Nate. Well, I mean, it could be a bright fragility, or it's just masculinity, or it's just human nature. Yeah, like hum- human nature, we we resist loss, we resist right. pain, we resist we we resist change yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, yes. what are those things that are causing me to be resistant to those things? To to those changes, realities? the new situation. Changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel situation. like we're on the cusp of another podcast conversation, which is like you're talking about losing influence right as as this as normalizing and and making central like white masculine experience as quote normal ideal paradigmatic mm-hmm. as that expands maybe or shifts to different right. sort of centers or normativities we lose some kind of cultural social capital yes we're losing some kind of influence and i think it would be worth maybe we'll have you back cuz i want to talk about it's a long drive <laughs> yeah, thirteen minutes. <laughs> I uh, I um, we'll pay you for your time. Thank you. Uh, Mileage. We'll give you half of our salary that we get for doing this podcast. For this podcast. Yes. Um, no. Um, is that the kind of power that we want? Mm. Is what we're losing what we what we would want as Christians? Yeah. It, and does losing what we have enable us to gain something 
maybe that we would want more. Yeah. I mean, that, that's as you were saying all of that stuff that we would be losing, it's like, yes, it's understandable because we've, we've just thought this was normal, but we're actually realizing, oh, this is privilege. This, right. is, some, this is something that I've had an advantage over other people in. Um, but it also is like, it, it, I'm hearing Jesus call to, to take the lowest seat, you know, uh, to invite the poor over for dinner. To, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. like Jesus is, in the Gospels, constantly calling us to this kind of thing, to say, hey... What you're basically like, what you're losing is not nearly as valuable as what you gain. Like you sell everything you have, but there's a treasure in the field. There's a new situation that's so much better than yes. white men being on top. Yes. So much better for everybody, mm. including white men. So good. Nate, mm. we love you, man. Yeah. Love you guys. It's, Thanks it's for... been great talking. If, if some of the stuff has stirred for you, if you have like questions or even maybe you're feeling triggered by what uh, things have been said here, mm. uh, you can give us an email at nate at gravityleadership.com. <laughs> we'll set that up for you. No. <laughs> Podcast at gravityleadership.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, even your own stories. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I'm serious about having you back to talk more about power, Nate. It would be a, a lot yeah, of love fun. Yeah, uh, That's all. That's it. We did it. Friends. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.